Welcome to the Nesson After Hours podcast. This is Celie Godwin in your earlobes right now. Usually you hear Emerson Lazia welcoming the show. Uh, Homeboy is on a much deserved vacation right now, something I hope all of you get at some point as travel and the world becomes safer and safer because I think all of us are in need of a, of a vacation right now. Uh, but trust me, next week Emerson is coming back with a surprise that he will discuss in length. Maybe one of you guys can guess it ahead of time. So send me your ideas. Let me know what you think that might be. If you know anything about Emerson, you know that he likes cereal, sports, and dogs and his, and his wife. So that's the four options you have to choose from there. Uh, but you guys know the drill on the After Hours podcast. We're mixing sports, life, weird conversations with two topics, two guests. Today, a double dose of baseball. Opening day is now three weeks away, and it's wild to think that on this day, March 11th, exactly a year ago, the sports world shut down. So we have reached the year mark, and we're still going. We've lost a lot of lives, and it's been really, really tough on a lot of different people. Um, baseball, sports in general, has kept us up and going, and it's it's awesome to see that we are still here and everything in spring training has been going very well. And I'm looking forward to opening day as I know all of you guys are, but we're going to get a tune up on Red Sox with one of our favorite beats, uh, Red Sox beat writers. Uh, plus it's the sports agent signing record deals, taking over your Twitter timelines and stomping out the haters in the process. Those are our two guests for two topics today. That's the tease. Let's get right to it. Covering the Red Sox for the athletic. It's Jen McCaffrey, Jen uh, what is this, your fourth time on the podcast? Something like that. Yeah, I've, been, I've definitely done it a few times with you guys. So yeah, it, it's been a minute. Um, I'm sorry about that. I know you've been super busy, um, but we love having you on. So welcome back. Uh, today, we got the Twins, Friday the Rays, Braves and Twins again this weekend, and they won't have another off day until Thursday. Um, given what you've seen thus far at spring, where does this team compare to last year's squad? Yeah, I don't think they could have gotten any worse than last year. So I think uh, for fans, it's probably a, a definitely a step in the right direction. Um, you know, it's it's still, you know, early in spring, midway through spring, I guess. So they're working the kinks out with some errors and, you know, things like that. But by and large, you know, this has been an interesting team. Obviously, there's a lot of moving parts. So, I mean, I, I think um, from that perspective, you know, fans will want to know who a lot of these newer faces are. So I think it'll be, you know, interesting, um, interesting from that side of things. And, and they, they seem, you know, the, the win loss record, you don't really put too much stock into that in spring. And it's more about just guys getting their, their work in. So, I mean, so far they've, they've really seemed, uh, seemed okay. I know. And, and like I said, uh, just compared to last year, anything can, uh, can be better than last year. As bad as last year was the Sox actually led the AL with a 265 batting average. Uh, hitting is not the issue at all when it comes to this team. Alex Corey has been tinkering with this lineup. Alex Verdugo was leading off last season a, a lot of the time, but it could be Kike Hernandez instead this year. Who, who do you feel is going to be the leadoff guy? Yeah, I think most of us thought that Verdugo was going to be the leadoff guy just because he had taken to that role last year, but uh, Cora really has slotted Hernandez in almost every day um, at leadoff. So I, I really think it's going to go um, Hernandez and then Verdugo and then probably Devers and, and J.D. Martinez. So that four kind of top four part of the lineup is, is probably going to be uh, pretty set. 
Um, and then the next, you know, the bottom half of the lineup is going to be mixing and moving. And um, we'll have to see where Bogarts fits in once he finally gets into games. Obviously, he's been dealing with that sore shoulder. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think uh, I think it's definitely um, trending towards our Hernandez leading off just because that's what we've seen for almost every game so far. So it seems like that's what Cora wants to do. Uh, J.D. Martinez got video review back, and I don't think anybody was happier than he was. Um, his numbers were down last year, um, and he was very vocal about needing video. If his numbers don't go back up, where does that leave him? It's a good question. Yeah, I mean, he's got another opt-out in that contract at the end of this year, but uh, he talked um, recently, in the past week or so, just about uh, basically taking his swing down to zero and kind of revamping the entire thing this winter. He said he kept kind of noticing things last year, but didn't have a chance to kind of like uh, just revamp everything, obviously in season, that's always an issue for guys. So um, really tried to bring everything back down to square one over the winter at his, uh, where he hits uh, down in Miami and uh, thinks that he's figured some things out. So he's talked a lot about just the, how he plants his foot and kind of the, how the hip rotates and um, even just kind of the looseness in his back and shoulder and how that, that kind of helps with the swing path. So it sounds like he's gotten um you know figured some things out and, got, and gotten some things um under you know underway so far in spring but obviously again you know we can't read too much into spring numbers so it'll be um we'll really be able to tell once the season starts and if if that hard work kind of pays off but yeah I mean he turns 34 in August so I think he's really trying to um just kind of combat the narrative that he's kind of on the downtrend of his career and, you know, isn't going to get back over a 900 OPS uh, hitter, which he's, he was in obviously 18 and 19 um, and, and previously. So, yeah, I think he's kind of got a little chip on his shoulder because everybody sort of thinks this is the beginning of the, you know, the downturn for him. Um, so uh, so we'll see. We'll, we'll see if he's uh, able to kind of turn things around and be the hitter that uh, he's been previously. But it, it sounds like he's put in all, all the work to try to get back there. Offense looks like it's set to be there. That's never really been the issue when it comes to this team, but is there enough pitching? That is the question. Uh, Chris Sale still recovering from Tommy John. It'll be quite some time before we see him again. Erod though, he's healthy uh, after his COVID scare last year. Nathan Avaldi's there, Martin, Martin Perez, Garrett Richards. He's had a couple of rough showings, but still showing some decent stuff there. Nick Pavetta. So where does Tanner Houck come in? He had three good innings the other day. Yeah. Uh, so he's someone that we've been wondering, you know, would they want to slot him into the bullpen and try to make him, you know, have him start in the majors that way. And we asked Cora that the other day and he basically said, no, um, they've tried to kind of bring up prospect pitching prospects through the bullpen first and realize, you know, in past years and realize it's just not the way to go. So he's strictly going to be a starter and that by all indications means that he's going to start off in, in Worcester and in AAA Worcester or in, uh, you know, at the alternate site, if they need an emergency starter, if someone gets hurt. Yeah. If, if someone gets hurt over the next, you know, two and a half to three weeks before the season starts, I would imagine that helps the kind of the first man up. Um, they've also got Matt injuries that they'll kind of have that as a swing man in the bullpen. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, how really just needs kind of those consistent innings to continue working on that third pitch to splitter. Um, we've seen it a little bit over those, these two, um, outings he's had so far this spring, but it's really something he needs to be able to just hone in on. And, uh, and having that third pitch in the majors is, is obviously key for a starter. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that they want to kind of, um, let him just kind of take his time in, in AAA. 
um, and, and kind of progress uh, from there. And they're inevitably going to need another starter. And he's, he's definitely going to be up at some point this year. Um, but I think, you know, the key for him will just be kind of taking a tad bit of the pressure off and just getting those innings in, getting that work in and getting, yeah, getting work on that splitter to be able to, uh, to be able to come back and be dominant um, against, you know, major league lineups. I like what we've seen to start, but obviously the more reps, the better, um, especially for a young guy like Tanner. Uh, Cora says he'll have a set closer who in your mind will end up getting the nod there. Yeah, this is something actually I'm going to be writing about for tomorrow at the Athletic. Tease it up, baby. We love to hear it. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's the gist of the story is that Cora's just kept saying he wants a set closer, but he won't tell us any more than that. And it's kind of <laughs> just been a little odd of, you know, if, if Barnes is the guy, um, if Matt Barnes is going to be the guy, why not just say it? You know, he's the guy that's got the most, the most, uh, the longest tenured pitcher on the staff anyway, and Red Sox uh, wise. And, uh, you know, Adam Ottavino's got uh, a little bit of closing experience back in 15 and 16. I think it was their, you know, new um, ac- or signee, uh, Hirokazu Saramora. It definitely has the most experience out of the three of those guys, but again, hasn't closed since uh, 15, 16, and also was in Nippon professional baseball. So I think Cora basically said he doesn't want to slot Sawamura right into the closer role because he wants him to just get adjusted to Major League Baseball and to the hitters he's never faced before. So it really, I think, is coming down to Barnes and Adovino, and it sounds like it's going to be Barnes, but he also just keeps saying, like, <laughs> I'm not going to say it yet, and it's kind of like, what's the deal here? Um, and I think I asked him yesterday, is it is it a matter of who else you're going to have in the bullpen? Um, you know, who's going to be setting those guys up and that kind of thing, and he said that that'll be part of the consideration. So. It has been a little um, just strange that they haven't come out and said it. Um, I, maybe it's just they want to keep, you know, see these guys out, a co- have a couple outings and just make sure that their yeah. stuff is good and, you know, their velocity's up and and just comfortable on the mound. Obviously, Ottavino's new to the team. So um, I think it's going to be Barnes, um, at least at the outset. But uh, yeah, it's just that's been a little bit kind of a weird, uh, ambiguous thing that's sort of been hovering over camp of why why they haven't officially named a closer yet. Maybe they literally just don't know yet. <laughs> That's possible. They like, yeah, they could be very much just kind of. It's still, it's still spring. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they got a couple of weeks and, you know, obviously they might also know and not just want to say it for some reason. So yeah. yeah. Um, but that's definitely a storyline to watch over the next couple of weeks. So uh, other news, Franchi Cordero cleared. Does he make the opening day lineup? I think if he had, well, if he had started the year with the team um, from the beginning, he definitely would have. But at this point, what is it? Yeah, middle March. He's only got a couple weeks to kind of ramp up. He hasn't played mm-hmm. in any games. He played in a simulated game today, um, but that was his first game action all spring. So, you know, you think that all these other guys have been in, you know, what, seven, eight, nine games already. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's, he's behind the eight ball there on top of the fact that he's, has a pretty lengthy injury history. So they don't want to ramp him up too quick and then have him get injured and then miss the first, you know, half of the season because he's got a pulled hamstring. So I really think that he's probably not going to make, you know, the the opening day roster purely because he's not ready yet. Um, I think he'll probably, you know, end up just staying down um, maybe in Fort Myers and getting more reps down there, or maybe he'll go to the alternate site and get his reps there. Um, obviously the AAA season doesn't start for kind of a month after. Uh, so yeah, uh, there's kind of a lot of, uh, moving parts there with him. Um, you know, Cora said they're going to be getting him in multiple, you know, SIM games of the next, you know, week or two until he gets into, you know, 
big league games, but I just, I think they would be wise not to rush him just because he's had so many of these issues. And the last thing you want to do after trading for Andrew, ben, trading Andrew Benintendi and getting him in return is have him kind of start the year on the, on the IL because he rushed to try to get ready. So I envision him probably, probably uh, not starting the year with the team. And this is a team that has more depth as well, especially with all these utility guys that they've, they've picked up. So I don't see too much of a need to rush them. Although second base is still one of those holes right now for who's going to take over there. Um, loved your story on Elaine Stewart, by the way, uh, 20, at 26 years old, uh, way back when she became the first female assistant general manager in baseball history and the second black assistant GM. What was your favorite part of doing that story? Yeah. So I'd always wanted to, I I've known Elaine, known of Elaine and obviously she's been around the team since 1988. So, uh, pretty much my entire life. So, um, I've, I've known who she was, but I just really never had a chance to kind of delve into what her career path actually was. And I just didn't know a lot. And I figured if I don't know a lot, then the fans and readers probably don't know a lot. So, um, really just getting to talk to her, she's very humble and kind of, you know, for, as much of a trailblazer she was, you know, becoming an assistant GM in 1988 and uh, 1990. Um, that's pretty amazing. Like, yeah, we talk so much about Kim Ng and rightfully so. And, you know, Raquel Ferreira and Jean Afterman um, and all these great women that have, you know, risen through the ranks. Um, but Elaine doesn't get talked about as much, I think, just because it was like way before and no one really, you know, uh, it wasn't as, I guess, big of a deal. It's obviously, a, you know, a, um, just uh, uh, something that, you know, society in general is accepting of more over the past few years of women in kind of executive and leadership roles and embracing. And I think because she did it so far, you know, in advance of everyone that it was sort of kind of forgotten. You didn't really read too much about Elaine um, in a lot of the stories that came out uh, when, when Kim Ng was hired. So, um, so yeah, I think really just being able to bring her more into the spotlight, uh, was, was probably the favorite part because I, you know, she deserves the attention just as much as everyone else does. And, um, clearly, you know, um, has had a tremendous career, um, having been with the team for 32 years or so. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it was, it was great to get to talk to her and I'm glad, uh, glad to be able to kind of, um, put that out there for people to get to know her more. Yeah. If you guys want to read that, make sure to subscribe to The Athletic. Uh, I am a proud subscription holder and have been for the last couple of years. Um, loved reading that. Jen McCaffrey, loved having you on today. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, everybody give her a follow. Thanks again, Jen. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Our second guest is a trailblazer in her own right, the youngest certified female agent in baseball, making her after hours debut. It's Rachel Luba waking up early to be with us on this Thursday. Uh, you are on the road right now. Where are you heading? I am. I'm actually uh, headed over to uh, Glendale to one of the um, training sites. Always going, always going busy all the time. What's your, what's your typical day like? Do you actually have a typical day? No, um, <laughs> do not have a typical day at all. Um, it can vary from um, a bunch of calls and emails to uh, baseball games. And um, honestly, couldn't tell you. There's, there's nothing typical about any day. Hey, that's what we signed up for, right? It, it, it's There's the good and the bad that comes with it. Um, I yeah. watched your ESPN feature, by the way, Unbreakable. Um, loved it. Loved the work that Jessica does. Uh, within the first 40 seconds, there's this video of you in, in the car taking a couple deep breaths and then just screaming. 
I felt that deep in my soul, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that was a frustrating moment. Um, I had I happened to have like my vlog camera on um, and I had set it down. Honestly, I forgot um, about it, but I was so um, I was so frustrated in that moment um, just about like just dealing with, uh, you know, social media stuff. Um, I, it was with, I think at the time it was with Bauer. Um, he wanted to be more, uh, transparent with the fans and tell fans more what was going on. And I had to kind of balance, um, the integrity of the negotiation. And, but I also understood where he was coming from and why he wanted to tell fans certain things. Um, I think it was in the midst of, um, some writers putting out some information about how he wanted this long-term deal and he didn't care about the one-year deals anymore. And he was like very frustrated with that narrative that kept being talked about. And anyway, so I was having to, you know, I was being pulled in two different directions um, and having to, you know, balance my job with, you know, and getting him the best contract versus what he wants in that moment. Um, and it was just a frustrating moment. I, I cannot lie. I've been there several times, yeah. probably like a couple days ago, I was <laughs> doing the same. Uh, it's, it's no, it's no secret that what you're doing has definitely ruffled some people's feathers. I, I love that you've been transparent about it on social media. How do you balance on what to say and what not to say? Uh, it's tough. Um, yeah. I, I haven't, I wasn't on Twitter until about like a little over a year ago. Um, I made an account while I was an intern and uh, in law school at an agency, they had us follow all of their um, clients. So I used it for that. And then um, in, it was like October of 2019 when I launched my agency, uh, Bauer was the one who was telling me, he was like, you need to, you need to get on Twitter. Like that's where the baseball world lives. I was like, I hate Twitter. I don't want to be on there. I think it's toxic. Um, and obviously I, you know, listened though he was right. And I got on Twitter and, you know, I realized the power that, you know, you can have on Twitter if you build a platform, especially because I did, you know, I was told going in that I couldn't fit in couldn't fit into the boys club. Um, I wasn't going to be able to be, you know, BFF with all the writers. So I wasn't going to be able to control a narrative and, you know, use the media for leverage and all of these things. So, you know, I realized, okay, well, if that's the case, then I can just build my own brand, build my own platform and I can control my own, you know, voice. And so it's been very powerful in that way. Um, and I do try to be transparent and I try to, you know, give people insight into the process because I don't think it's something that agents ever do. And, yeah. uh, you know, I try to allow, um, I guess, you know, players to feel some comfort in knowing that they're not at the mercy anymore of a writer. If there's something false put out there, I can change it. I don't need to go through another writer to get it reversed. Um, and so it's been a, you know, a useful, a useful tool to have, but it definitely, um, you know, there's, there are downsides to it. There's, you know, it is just also a toxic place and there are a ton of people in the industry who I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't say actually like 
necessarily in the industry or on the teen side, but there are definitely people, I don't know, that look at it and they don't like that I use Twitter the way I do. Interesting. Uh, would you say that you get some kickback maybe from other sports agents or is it mainly yeah. just fans? Yeah, I mean, some fans, some fans, a lot of fans like it. Um, yeah. I think other, other agents hate it. But Interesting. Yeah. It's that old school and new school way kind of that we're, yeah. we're seeing here as, as baseball, we're trying to make it more fun, make it more yeah. likable to the younger generation. Um, you talked about getting your start. Again, you were just, I love your honesty and your transparency through all of this. Um, you talked about how another sports agent gave you some advice about being in the industry and the fact that you being female is just going to be hard in itself. Um, what's one piece of advice or info that you wish somebody would have told you beforehand? Um, well, I mean, probably a couple of things. One, just that, you know, being a female, while yes, it's going to be hard. It's also like very, there's something very powerful about it too, that mm -hmm. you can use, um, you know, to, uh, be yourself because if you try to, I did for a while try to, you know, downplay my gender. I tried to change. I thought about just going by my, my initials, my middle name is Aaron. So I thought about going by Ari, which are my initials. I thought it sounded more um, gender neutral. And yeah, I like realized that, you know, there was, I wasn't, I don't think I would have been very successful in the long run. Um, if I, you know, tried to create some sort of, you know, image um, with myself that wasn't authentic, that wasn't genuine. Um, so, you know, just being authentic to who you are. And then, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, if an, oppor an opportunity, especially if, you know, it's hard to get into the industry. Um, but, you know, I, if you're passionate enough about it, I think you can create your own, your own opportunity. Um, definitely don't wait for one to fall into your lap because if that's what you're waiting for, it's probably not going to happen. Good advice. Be a go-getter. Um, it's a very competitive industry. Um, I can only imagine just from the research I've done on it. Um, I mean, people just think you're an agent. You just ne negotiate deals, but you're doing so much more than that. You're recruiting talent. You have to be available all the time. Um, what's right. the biggest fallacy people have about being a sports agent in your opinion? Um, I, I think they just think a lot of it is so many, so many people just think it's like entourage um, <laughs> or, or ballers, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, that that's kind of the most when people talk to me they're like I want to be a sports agent I'm like how come they're like well I was watching Entourage and I'd be like Ari I'm like I mean yeah <laughs> that would be great but um it's look it's a fun job there are a lot of really cool opportunities and things that I get to do that I know um are, you know are different um you know I've got to go to a lot of baseball games um I know I take that for granted um you know you get to hang around, I mean, a bunch of, you know, athletes. Um, but it's work. Which, it's, it's work. work. Exactly. It's, so when I go to baseball games, it's not, it's not as a fan. It's not exciting mm -hmm. like that. It's different. Um, I watched, I don't, the game to me, I'm not, a, you know, a fan of the game. It's work. It's a job. It's, 
um, you know, it, it's, it's just different. And so I think people, a lot of people, when they think about it, they're viewing it through the lens of just being a fan of baseball. Um, and a lot of it is just, it's on the phone and a lot of it is just kind of outside of the off season. A lot of it is, you know, kind of like coordinating things and being a middleman for your player and the team or helping him set whatever he needs up or it's just it's not um I would say the the actual season is not very mentally like or intellectually stimulating um so yeah um you've had a big year though um big couple years um launching your agency signing your clients um Trevor making the huge deal, record-setting deal, and one of the most unique deals in MLB history. But I have to ask, were the Boston Red Sox ever in the picture, even for like a second, even if that meant just like writing them down and crossing them off the list? Um, Well, I mean, from if you're asking from like Trevor's side, Trevor was open to every team. Um, From the Red Sox side, I mean, they there were – you know, a, a large, uh, majority of teams, I would say checked in. Um, and you know, the Red Sox, like we had a conversation, but, um, and you know, a lot of times teams will just, Hey, you know, just checking in to see if we're interested, you know, or we're, we're interested or, you know, but it kind of just ends there. Um, or, you know, we set, uh, you know, some materials and then, um, I think once teams also saw once he won the Cy Young, it made it clear his price was going to go up. Yeah. So um, the the Red Sox they we we checked in, they checked in, we talked, you know, for a minute. <laughs> I just had to, I just had to ask. I know he's super pumped about being back home, and I mean that's where you guys met, um, and I know you guys go back super super far. Um, give me your hot take here, though. What kind of year and numbers are you expecting, Trevor? And the Dodgers to have this year? Uh, you know, look, I'm, we're, we're hoping for a similar, similar year to last year in terms of quality. Um, obviously let's hope for a full season for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, if he would love to, you know, pitch 200 innings, um, I think it's going to be an interesting season for everybody in terms of how, like, how deep they let players or, you know, pitchers go in games um, just with the shortened season coming off the shortened season from last year. So while I know he's, you know, he can, and he has the durability to, you know, throw 200 plus. um, I think, I do think a lot of teams are going to be very cautious with their pitchers. Um, So, but hopefully look, you know, get around 200 innings, um, you know, have a, two ERA. And I think, I think we'll be good with that. Get, you know, 300 strikeouts. That'd be good for him. Ooh, I love <laughs> Going it. For another yeah. Let's do it. Why not? Sky's the limit. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he's super pumped. I know you're super pumped about it. Um, uh, real quick, before we let you go here, I, I love the photos you posted of, of your dad, his 60th birthday <laughs> the other day. Um, you had blonde hair. That's my natural. Yeah. I've been every hair color, but blonde is like my natural. <laughs> color and and then it's red where where did where did you all of a sudden start <laughs> deciding okay red is is who I am 
um, I, so I used to change my hair color about like every six weeks, anyone who knows me and so, or who's known me for a long time. And so people who've known me for a long time tell me now all the time, they're like, I can't believe your hair has been the same color for so long. Um, what happened was I just happened to it. I happened to have dyed it red, like a couple weeks before I launched my agency and there was an article written and I kind of got an influx of like followers and I was like kind of put onto the you know scene the baseball scene and I happened to have red hair and people started talking about it and it was like really bold and I was like oh shoot like this is it just kind of like became my brand really quickly like she's the one with red hair and I believe in brands I think brands are really important and to me it's uh like it's just kind of stuck as you know this kind of bold you know feature that I have um, and so now I hate it because I do like the red, but I love I it. Love, I think it fits you, <laughs> but I love changing my hair color all the time. So I think I'm going to have to start getting wigs, um, and wearing wigs because I want to be able to change it, but I still, I feel weird now. Like, I feel like I can't get rid of the red cause it's like a part of me. So yeah, yeah. I, I definitely will say that that's usually the first thing that whenever I, I'm talking about like guests that I want. And I remember I brought up your name and someone's like, oh, the, the, the girl with the red hair. And I was like, that is her calling <laughs> card right now. <laughs> but I'm um, saying, but so. I, I love it. I, I respect the hustle. I respect everything that you've done and your unique approach to baseball and being an agent. Um, and and I, I love hearing your perspective on everything and your transparency and honesty. So I, I appreciate the time today. I know you are super, super busy. Uh, Rachel Luba, founder, owner of Luba Sports and just overall girl boss. Thank you so much for the time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. Uh, talk soon. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All righty, guys. That was two guests, two topics, um, a whole lot of baseball. I'm looking forward to, what, three weeks from now where we will finally have opening day and the hope is to have a full season. Um, and the hope is to see maybe the Red Sox go over 500 this year. I am optimistic. I'm choosing to see view the glass is half full. Uh, very cool though, to talk with, with Rachel, um, just seeing her on, on social media. She has a very unique approach to everything that she does as an agent, which is just very different from the old school way. Um, I'm anticipating we'll see more like her in the future. Uh, and then it was also good just to hear from Jen McCaffrey because she's always in the know on everything. Uh, so you guys make sure to give her a follow on Twitter, uh, The Athletic. She writes incredible stuff. Um, looking forward to that, that next piece that she'll have coming out about who might end up being the closer for the Red Sox. Who's going to be the guy that can shut the door and get the dub. Uh, but that's going to do it for us. I'm, I'm looking forward to also seeing Emerson next week with his exciting news. So keep that in mind. Let me know what your guesses are. But I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up and send us into the weekend. New England, I appreciate everything. Appreciate you guys giving this a listen. Got exciting guests coming up over the next couple of weeks. Well, Middlebrooks is in the works. You guys know him. Former Red Sox. So got that coming up couple of NFL guests as well some more trailblazers as we celebrate women histories month but for now that'll do it for us I'm Celia Godwin this is the Nesson After Hours podcast we'll see you guys next time <laughs> <laughs>